0: Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Coa. This morning, we have the pleasure of having Gina Schaefer on, who has been an owner of Ace Hardware Stores here in the Washington, D.C. area in the DMV. Good morning, Gina.
1: Good morning. How are you, Vernon?
0: I'm great. How about you?
1: I'm great. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Love your smile. Uh, And are you in D.C. now?
1: I am. I'm in Logan Circle on 14th Street Northwest.
0: Okay. So we have a beautiful day out here today. The sun is up. supposed to rain later, but it looks like it's a wonderful day.
1: It's nice outside my window. Mm -hmm.
0: So tell me, how did you get into hardware stores, Ace Hardware in particular?
1: So if any of our listeners have been around for a while, they might remember that Logan Circle had been one of the communities in the country destroyed, destroyed by the riots when Martin Luther King was assassinated. So that was obviously a long time ago. Um, But this neighborhood sat dormant for a long time until people started moving east in Washington looking for cheaper places to live. And I was one of those people. I wanted to buy my own house or condo before I got married. I was young and dating at the time, but Mark and I, my husband, hadn't gotten married yet. And a real estate agent said, why don't you buy a Logan Circle? And I mean, it was a crazy place for a young single woman to move, but I did. And I got involved in the community and everybody... Talked about how they wanted a hardware store and restaurants and grocery stores, you know, all sorts of things that make a community vibrant and fun and and safe. Um, And then I got laid off from my tech job. And I came home from work the day that I was laid off, and I said to Mark, I know exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to open a hardware store. (laughs) (laughs) And I always joke that like a good spouse, he didn't say one word.
0: (laughs) He didn't say yes or no. He definitely didn't say no. He didn't say anything. (laughs) I think I made him speechless. (laughs) So you're in IT, got yeah. laid off. Logan Circle, where is that, 14th and...?
1: Uh, well, we our first location was at 14th and P Street, Northwest. We've since moved that store up the street to 14th and S. So not far, but, yeah, right in the heart of the, the commercial corridor of Logan Circle.
0: So 14th and P right now is where Whole Foods is at, 14th and P? Yes. Okay. Yes. And what year was this that you you bought? bought?
1: No, we opened the first location uh, from ground up. Actually, I did. And then Mark joined me three months later. He had a job. He had no intentions of being in the hard work business. And one day he said, well, you're having too much fun. Can I join you? (laughs) I think he was actually, you know, in hindsight, he was working his full-time job. And he was helping me so much that he just wanted one or the other. And it looked like we were going to be okay, that I was going to be okay running the business. But it was 2003. So I got laid off from that job in, I guess it was late 2001. We contacted Ace Hardware and True Value, which at the time was another national hardware cooperative, and we ended up joining the Ace Co-op and we opened that first location about 10 months later, 2003.
0: So had you had any hardware experience, any business, uh, entrepreneur that you...
1: Um. No, I, I did. I did. I need to. <laughs> I love this question. I love this question. Bernard. So I was 30. I guess I was 31 ish somewhere around there. And, you know, I think when I think back, I'm like, gosh, I was such a baby. No, I mean, that's not that young. But I had worked for technology companies for very many for three or four startups. I was seasoned at getting laid off because I kept working for startups that failed. I had worked in the nonprofit industry. I had a political science degree. I had never run my own business. I remembered when I was 12 writing a business plan. So when I think back to being a child and I had a very entrepreneurial mother, I think, okay, it's in my genes. Okay. But I hadn't done anything at all to nurture that. Nothing.
0: (laughs) So you sound like my youngest daughter. I, I caught her one day playing and she was not playing dolls in a dollhouse. She had her business and she was had a phone, a little pink phone, and she was taking orders and writing nice. them down. She was helping. Okay. And one day she gave her grandmother a pink slip because her grandmother didn't do whatever she wanted her to do. Okay. So, Love it. Uh, she had business in her jeans. So you had it in your jeans with your mom being the entrepreneur. I did.
1: Well, and Logan Circle was very supportive. The community was wonderful. I mean, we wanted. We wanted businesses. We had this beautiful abandoned commercial corridor that was just screaming with potential. And, and anything that opened, any of the businesses that opened, were really supported by the community. So I had that going for me.
0: Okay. Well, you have mother entrepreneur, wrote right your first business plan at 12, and at Logan Circle. And Logan Circle at the time was inexpensive to buy? Yes. Okay. And so... You could come in uh, 20 years later, 21 years later. a little bit different.
1: Very different, yes.
0: Uh, Okay. So why Ace?
1: Well, uh, you know, it it was kind of a a short... I'll tell the funny story in a short way. We contacted Ace and True Value at the same time, and True Value didn't call us back for about two years. And so the short story is we went with Ace because they're the ones that called us back. I also... um, sort of fell into it because Ace wasn't sure if they were going to approve me. And the new business development guy that was sent to vet me and the neighborhood and the space that I picked told me to sign my lease before I was approved to join the co-op, which was backwards. I should have been approved before I signed the lease. So I signed a $1.9 million lease in 2002 and faxed my application back to Ace. And they, I mean... Freaked out, for lack of a better phrase, because he had lied to me. And so uh, I got to open a hardware store because I had signed this big lease. But there was a lot of concern about whether or not it was going to be successful.
0: And how many stores do you have now?
1: (laughs) I have 13, darn it. 300 teammates. We are super successful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not proud at all.
0: (laughs) Well, you have a lot to be proud of. So Ace called you back. True value did not, at least for two years. And they are basically saying you don't have what it takes. You are a thirty one year old white woman in a black community and without any experience.
1: In the middle of a city. And there were no Ace Harbor stores anywhere near any cities on the East Coast.
0: Oh my god. So yeah.
1: There was it was I was very it was rare. It was just I, I'm not going to say I was a pioneer. There were plenty of Ace stores in San Francisco and Chicago, and uh, there were a couple in New York City, but there weren't enough. And there were none in Baltimore, and there there were none in DC. So there was no precedent for um, opening in Washington and Baltimore. Which for me was fantastic. That meant that there was no competition, and the communities all over both cities were ready uh, to have a place to buy hardware. But it was a scary it was a scary proposition for Ace at the
0: time. Well, if you checked a them- boxes, you get no checks.
1: Uh, none. I no, got no, <laughs> no experience. I got no,
0: <laughs> no, no experience. And no
1: money in the bank.
0: No money. No oh, experience. my God. <laughs> and
1: uh, We owned our house. So Mark and I had gotten married by this point. We owned our house, and I also owned a condo. The first condo that I bought in Logan Circle, I kept it as a rental property. And so we got an SBA loan for that first. I did SBA loan for that first project. And um, they used the house and the condo as collateral. And so that enabled me to get that first loan um, to open Logan Hardware initially.
0: Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Superb. And I, when you were on the air once before, I called you the cheerleader of hardware stores. Okay. You yeah. don't look like a hard – what I think of a hardware store owner when I go in is this old <laughs> hardened man. Okay.
1: Yeah, you're being stereotypical there, Bernie. <laughs> yes, I am. Totally. Totally.
0: this is what I, That's what I saw. His hands were all – messed up because he either hit the hand, the hand instead of the nail or, yep, you know, yep. had tried to screw something off. But he had this experience of a contractor or something and he decided to open up a hardware store or his parents and family had been in hardware stores for five generations or so forth. Yes. You didn't have none of that.
1: No, you I, was a, a male. I was a hardware
0: orphan. You weren't no, a male. You weren't a white male. You You were young. You weren't old. I mean I'm this is what, what you saw. Yes. And then you you have no experience in running a business. I don't I just don't see why they didn't say no to you. But well, he tried I, to I do it backwards. On it.
1: Huh? Uh, yeah. I mean I, I think that's why that guy lied to me, because I think he knew they were probably gonna say no. And I don't know if he got a commission. I don't know if he really was as enthusiastic about the project as as I like to believe in hindsight. But it just you know, it was it was sheer grit, enthusiasm and a little bit of Naivete, I guess. Okay, that sometimes really they call really it. Wrong
0: way. They call it naivete or stupidity, but okay. Stupidity. <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: I like to think I was really. I like to think I was really naive. I was not going to let this neighborhood down. I mean, first of all, I had put my house and my condo online, right? Uh, second of all, I had a husband, a new husband who was, who was my biggest cheerleader and was sure that I was going to be a success, and then I wasn't going to let the neighborhood down. I did not want to work for anyone else again. I was tired of being laid off. I didn't like the tech industry. I loved the fact that hardware was very tangible. It was really all about customer service and taking care of my team and taking care of the, the neighborhood. And I mean, I could have been selling clothes or shoes or flowers or hardware. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to choose hardware.
0: Phenomenal. So, Phenomenal. Yeah. So he said to you, go get the lease first. You did. All right. So you've got you've got an SBA loan. You put up your house and your condo. You go sign a lease, and you don't even have the the contract with Ace. So that's, that's where
1: the stupidity comes in, Vernon. Because I should have known. I mean, it's I should have. Maybe I should have. Should I have known?
0: I don't know. Well, to see wow. if you if you had known and had the business smarts, you wouldn't have done it, and you wouldn't have had thirteen stores today and be successful. Well, Yeah. What okay. if they
1: had said no? I mean, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think if I had done it the proper way and they had said no to me, none of we wouldn't be having this conversation. None of this would have ever happened.
0: The likelihood is you would have gotten a no, because of the the checkbox. You don't you don't yeah. you don't fit the image. You don't have the experience. You don't have the money. You don't have blah 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 blah. Nothing. So you go and you through. You say grit, determination, uh, force, power. I am going to have a hardware store and I put yes. up everything to yes. get that. I put up my house, my condo, mm-hmm. all of the, the valuables I have gained, plus I sign a lease. Now see signing the lease was like I don't know if I'd have done that.
1: One point nine million dollars.
0: Yeah, what? All, all they can take is your house and your condo and it's already I had up.
1: A, I, <laughs> I had, some, I had some lovely tenants at the time that were living in that condo and I was having a chat with them early on one day and, and uh, I think his name was Nick. He said, well, what, what's going to happen if you fail? And I said, they'll take my house, my car, and my dog. And he goes, they'll take your dog. <laughs> you know, dramatic reaction. Okay. Well, I didn't want to tell him that they would actually take the condo he was living in. I didn't want to stress him out. So I threw my dog under the bus.
0: Okay. So hindsight was... Perhaps from a business standpoint, not the best thing to do. And from a business business standpoint, it was the right thing to do. All of yes. the
1: above. Yes.
0: Okay. So when did you get your second hardware store?
1: We opened a second second store exactly two years to the day after the first one. And and truly, it was, one, a lesson in trust. We had to be in two places at once. And what was that going to mean for us? We had to start building a very strong cultural foundation for the company to expand Um, And two, people were coming in from all over the city asking us to open in their neighborhood. It was truly the most terrifying and flattering experience of my life.
0: Okay, we're going to take our first break. And we're going to come back and talk about how do you go from 1 to 2 to 13. But then what are some of the heartaches that you had as you were going through this, getting to selling it at some point? We'll be right back. Please don't touch this dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative, and we have Gina Schaefer on the line with her. In the first segment, we talked about her starting her first store and the hardships she had to go through. She did not look like a hardware store person. If you look at all of the biases, she didn't fit anything. Young, female, did not have the experience of owning a business, let alone a hardware business. But she persisted. Grit is the term she used. And it's like, I am going to open this. I'm going to make sure that I am <sighs> serving my community. Opened her first store 2003 in Logan Circle where she had bought her first condo. Got married and her husband was her cheerleader. Okay. And he was smart. He learned early what I took me a long time to learn. <laughs> I learned you to say <laughs> Well, I, I learned to say yes dear <laughs> that was what I learned. Okay. Yes. Makes a happy home. So you had your second store and what are some of the, the issues or concerns or the struggles you had to go through with that first and second store?
1: One of the first lessons was from an old hardware retailer who said that he never opened a second location because he couldn't be in two places at once. And if you stop and think about that, of course we can't. I mean, it's humanly impossible. So to make that an excuse for anything doesn't work or it didn't work in my brain. There had to be a way to figure out how to overcome that particular excuse. And so for me, it really boiled down to trust. And if I was going to be in this part of town and this part of town in a physical building and needed somebody there, I had to trust them. If I'd hired somebody that I didn't trust, I'd hired the wrong person. And so we set out in that first location in Logan Hardware of one building a foundation of trust and two, really defining what our core values were so that we could take somebody from that location and send them across town to another location and have them still operating the way we would want them to operate back in Logan Circle. And so if you think about, you know, some very basic principles, be nice, be a good neighbor, always grow and share some of the core values that we use to this day in everything that we do to govern the business, somebody learned those working with us at Logan Circle. And then we sent, um, it was a cashier, actually, her name was Jennifer Ward, and we transferred her, promoted her to manage this new store at Glover Park. She moved to Glover Park so she could really get involved in that community. She went to the community associations in, Glo- in Glover Park because I couldn't, because I couldn't go to the ones in Logan Circle and in Glover Park and be all things to all neighborhoods. And so Jen did that. And then Jen helped grow the next leader and the next leader and the next leader. Jen, in fact, was the manager under whom our first Baltimore manager worked. And, you know, he learned how we operated. And he was a fantastic retailer. And when he said, do you want to open in Baltimore? We said, why not? And we jumped at the chance.
0: Okay. So in that first store in Logan Circle, Jennifer Ward, your cashier.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Okay. How many employees did you have and where did they, where did they come from? Did they come from the neighborhood? Uh, well,
1: yeah, Logan Circle for sure. I mean, it, it's a little bit different now, but at the time, I mean, almost everybody walked to work. They were all neighbors. I think we opened with four employees, which was really an oversight, undersight, what, <laughs> a bad thing, uh, because it wasn't enough. Um, when we opened the second location, we probably had 12 or 14 employees at that point at Logan Circle, at Logan Hardware. And Glover Park actually quickly became a much busier location. Um, the neighborhood was already more established. There were few, uh, there were no boarded-up houses, and so everybody was—you know—every house was occupied. Um, and so it was much, it was much quicker um, of a success than Logan Circle, Logan Harbor.
0: So, in your first store in Logan. Everybody walked to work. Everybody lived in the neighborhood. You went to the association meeting, so it was all about neighborhood. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then Jennifer goes and moves to Glover Park and opens up that store there, and she understands how to operate. She understands the core values. Yes. Any of these values related to the values of cooperation, honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another?
1: No, well, caring for one another, for sure. Being being a good neighbor and communicating, communicate respectfully are two of our core values that I think get to that, that principle, cooperative principle, really well. We did not understand the cooperative world enough at the time to choose our core values based on the cooperative principles. I can see where there's overlap now, but we didn't at the time use the core value princ- or the principles of co-ops to create our core values.
0: Okay. So
1: we had
0: some happy accidents. Happy accidents, or if you really get to the core values, and I did a show once on the spirituality of cooperation. It's really out of most spiritual or religious trainings is how we treat each other, right? You know, we talk about building trust and respect and treating people the way you want to be treated and all of those kind of things in the golden rule. And that's one yes. of the reasons I like co-ops is because that's it. And that's probably why you're so successful or have been is one of those core values. And you get people that live the core values. Um, can
1: I, can I tell you a quick story that relates to that, that I think is a really beautiful story. Yes. Um, so you mentioned checking the boxes earlier. We took the felony box off of our application when we opened that first store. It was still legal in the district, and a lot of states have now, banned the box and you can't ask so, we what, banned it from the beginning that
0: means a that felony you could that hire somebody a with a felony. correct okay you
1: can you can hire people with a felony but it was legal to put on your application the requirement that someone announced that they were a felon okay make sense okay yes. so we banned that box long before it was a legal requirement and our first or second employee was a returning citizen named tommy and i loved tommy he worked with us for 11 years Our second or third or fourth employee was a 14-year-old who was growing up in public housing, almost a teenage mother. I've always believed that business is people, product, and place. And I think for those two employees in particular, in charting the foundation for our core values, I watched them find their place. I watched Tommy realize that he could have a wonderful life outside of prison. I watched... The 14-year-old realized that he could grow and mature outside of the housing project that he was growing up in, and so we were kind of the third P in that in that stool, and so those became part of the guiding principles because I wanted everyone to find that place, and it was just, it was as simple as that. I mean, for me, my place was Logan Circle. I found this neighborhood that I loved and supported and wanted to be useful to, and then you know. Our first employees were starting to find their place,
0: too. So they found their place at the store. How could you even hire a 14-year-old, though?
1: (laughs) Well, okay. So I did not realize when he came to interview that he was 14. He came with a mentor from a nonprofit organization that he was a part of. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he did all the talking. So I would ask Eddie, Eddie was the young man. I would ask him a question and the the gentleman with him would do all the answering. And I was too, all right, we'll keep using the word stupid, Vernon. I was too stupid to know that I had to go ask somebody whether or not I was allowed to hire a 14 year old. And they said with his mother's permission, he could come work, you know, so many hours a week. And so Eddie worked for us for 10 years. He worked for us part time until he graduated from high school and then full time, you know, when he got old enough that he could work during the summers full time and I didn't know. He was great. We loved him. He was like the kid on staff, and everybody took care of him, like he was, you know, their little brother. He was, yeah, it's fun to think about.
0: Well, see, it's almost like naivete, and you're following your heart. So it's like, yeah, he makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, and, and if you exactly, yeah, if you had now twenty some years of experience, you might say, no, we probably shouldn't hire somebody that young. But back then, hey. Any other traits of those first employees?
1: Well, yeah. So um, we started hiring folks from the Whitman Walker Addiction Services program, which is right. It was it's across the street from our store now, but it was down the street then. And a uh, the gentleman named Shane, named Shane walked in one day. And he said, "I'm I'm attending uh, meetings in the addiction services program at Whitman Walker. Will you give me a job?" And uh, I said no, not because of where I'm from, but because I didn't need any employees. I didn't have any staff dollars and so i said no and he came back we just, we're such good friends now and he came back every day He give me a job and I'm, like, I'm sorry you showed up one day and we had to unload a truck and we were desperate and i said will you please help unload this truck and then he started coming every week and unloading the truck and that's sort of the lore that we eventually hired him and um he came to work for us and when he left uh he started telling everybody else at Whitman walker to come find the lady at the hardware store and so um, other folks from his program started showing up asking for a job, which was really uh, meaningful in ways that I had no idea at the time, you know, how that would play out further down the road.
0: Can you give us one hint before we take our next break? <laughs> the meaning of it? Well,
1: I mean, I'm writing a book. It's totally based on, or did write a book, uh, publishing a book based on that experience and what I've truly learned from hiring folks who are dealing with the disease of addiction. So it's a very special part of our life.
0: I went from IT to hardware store owner, naive, been in it for 22 or so years. You're beginning selling your businesses, and now you're writing a book, becoming a publisher. Okay, we're going to take our second break because I really wanted to come back and talk about this book and what you're doing. But before we do that, let's take the next segment to talk about how you went from 2 to 13, and what were the benefits of being an ace, being inside of a co-op, a purchasing co-op, and the kinds of things that you're learning? I really do want to get to – what's the book called?
1: Recovery Hardware.
0: Recovery Hardware. Recovery Hardware. Okay. From Whitman Walker Center. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Gina Schaefer on with us this morning. She is with her husband, Mark, the owner of 13 Ace Hardware stores. She started her first store at Logan Circle in 2003, being about a 31-year-old female with none of the characteristics or the normal biases of a hardware store owner. Which was normally a white male older, um, didn't fit those boxes at all, and she ended up going from one store that, if you just look at it from a financial, I mean from a business standpoint, should have never opened, and to 13 stores. So, Gina, what are some of the lessons you were talking about that? But you hired all of these different people: Tommy, Eddie, Shane, Returning Citizen young 14 year old shane addict at whitman walker clinic what what you took all of these risk what do you yeah
1: i love that you just use airs quotes and i love that you've referenced the biases so many times because it's true that unless we i think unless we really talk about some of these stereotypes that we have as as human beings they don't they don't get Resolved. I don't know what word to use, but you know, we will continue to think that we shouldn't hire a returning citizen or we shouldn't hire someone early in his his addiction recovery programs. And I think one of the one of the things that we've done in the last twenty years is really shatter those biases, and and not necessarily on purpose. I mean, it it happened organically. I didn't set out to write a book called Recovery Hardware. I mean, that name was given to us by the community, and it just became this beautiful thing that, that we recognized, but. Um, we made so many funny mistakes just to take it from that sort of serious context to, to funny. Ace Hardware is an amazing cooperative. They are, the, they are a, a fantastic cooperative, purchasing cooperative partner, and they have really great training programs and mentoring programs and a whole host of, support now they didn't necessarily have back then. So there was a lot of trial and error um, for Mark and I. And we'll look back at some of the funny mistakes that we made. And I will not bore you with all of the details. And we joke about them now. But, I mean, such rookie moves about how we dealt with money, for example, or, um, you know, things that we had to do to be licensed with the district government that we just didn't know about. So, you know, now now, like, growing up in ACE and their programs getting so much stronger, a lot of that might have been uh, avoided. <laughs> avoided. But now they're just sort of funny Quirks from my past.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> having, little
1: road bumps. Having yeah. run
0: a business 27 years in D.C., I understand. You know, and you had a mother that was an entrepreneur. I didn't have. My father was on the railroad. My mother taught school. So I didn't have that entrepreneurial kind of kind of bug. It grew on me. But these stereotypes, these biases, you said they were happenstance, and you were able to shatter some of them. Can you give me any examples of that?
1: Well, you know, just I mentioned that we banned the banned the felony box, but I think the, the biggest thing that we did was um, we we created a place where anybody of any background could come together, and the community wasn't the community's it wasn't any of the community's business to know, for example, that Tommy was a returning citizen, but they interacted with folks like Tommy every single day and loved him and respected him, and it was it was a way for us to bring folks of of a variety of backgrounds together in a community setting and all of those stereotypes went away and maybe it was because you know not everybody knew everyone's past but we created the place and again a lot of this was just on accident I mean we were just it wasn't on accident we were very nice and trusting right so I, I, I mean I have to give us some credit for being willing to do that but we created this place where everyone was safe to become
0: they really were okay all right I love it. Um, How did you go from your second to your third to your 13th store?
1: So, we opened that second store in March of 2005, and then we proceeded to open one store a year for the next 10 years. We were fast and furious. We got that second loan from National Cooperative Bank. They have been, and and this is not a plug or a commercial, but I love NCB. (laughs) They started giving us money uh, to open our subsequent stores, and we just kept finding places to open. We opened 10 stores from scratch. We purchased four. One was a true value that we converted to Ace, and then the other three were already existing Ace stores. We went up the train line to Baltimore, opened three in Baltimore, bought a store in Old Town Alexandria, bought a store in Silver Spring. We closed a store that didn't work. Our fifth location uh, never worked until so we closed that down in two thousand. I think it was 2017. That was really tough. It was hard for us to do that. It was hard for me to do that. But it never it never pulled its own weight. We tried everything. So that's how we went from one to thirteen.
0: Okay in a nutshell. So I don't mind you doing a plug for NCB. And if if we could have planned it, I would have asked you to do the plug because I missed doing the plug right at the end of this session. I normally talk about talk about their mission. Okay, and they're there to support uh, co-ops and their members. Ace Hardware is a co-op. You are a co-op belonging to a purchasing co-op. So it's, it's it's there to help Ace and its members. You are a member of Ace, so that makes sense. And working in low-income communities, uh, some of the communities that you've been in are low-income communities by providing innovative financial services. So you've just get, given them the plug that I would have normally have given them. So yes. They were so
1: helpful. You know, historically and you know this Brennan, historically the, the small business administration has not funded cooperatives. They don't know how to fund the co op. And so there are some workarounds now, but it's very challenging, and the fact that there is a national bank that understands how cooperatives work and they're willing to fund people like me who want to own and be a member of a cooperative was really valuable. 2004, I did not want to go the SBA route again. I wanted a bank that understood what we were doing, that didn't have, you know, seven miles of paperwork to fill out, and and uh, NCB was very, just very wonderful and supportive, and they have been ever since.
0: So why um – Oh, let me just say this. Roberta McDonald from Cabot Creamer, he said that Chuck and the folks at NCB are angels, okay? And that's how she said it. Unfortunately, Chuck passed November, as you know. Yeah. And he made it, and I know at some point you got to meet him. Did you meet him right away, or did you go through Chuck? a – Chuck? Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I, the, the, the fortunate thing for Mark and I is that because we're in Washington, we're close to the headquarters. And so every time NCB had an annual meeting, we were invited. And so we got to know Chuck very early on and, and the rest of the staff at NCB. So they've been great. And I'm just going to tell you that Roberta McDonald is an angel. I mean, she, that woman has changed my life in more ways than she will ever let anybody admit. Amazing. She's just amazing.
0: She has hard things to say about you, too. But just uh, six months ago or so, not that long ago, she invited me to a luncheon with eight people and we had our own separate room. And so we could do the COVID stuff. Cause I, that was the first thing I did outside of, mm. you know, with COVID. And it was phenomenal. The people that I met, I knew maybe four, Paul Hazen and Anthony Cook yeah. from Georgetown and, or Roberta and myself. I don't, I think that was it for people I knew, and the rest of the people I just—I got to meet just phenomenal people. And she was just coming through town and pulled together lunch.
1: <laughs> oh, she's—Mark calls me a hurricane. She is definitely a hurricane. I mean, she just whips everyone up around, like brings us all together in the most delicious ways. <laughs>
0: So knowing people like Roberta and Chuck Snyder, uh, NCB, help you all, you and Mark to grow by getting that money. But why, do you know why it's so hard for SBA and other um, for banks and so forth to make loans to co-ops?
1: Yeah, so it doesn't, it's not exactly the same thing for a purchasing co-op, but grocery co-ops, for example, don't have one owner. And a bank wants there to be one owner that they can pin the liability on. And so, if you bring together a cooperative group of people with collective ownership, the bank can't pin the responsibility on one person. And they, like I said, there are some workarounds now that they've figured out. But that was historically a challenge. And so, you know, NCP was formed in the '70s so that there would be a funding mechanism for cooperatives: cooperative housing, cooperative farming, cooperative grocery stores. Um, Purchasing co-ops are a little bit different. For example, Mark and I are the sole owners, were, we'll talk about our ESOP soon, I think, but we were the sole owners of this hardware business. And so the bank had, uh, we had the liability, the bank could pin it on us if the business failed. Um, But that's the reason historically the SBA and and traditional banks did not like to fund cooperatives.
0: So there's a second that I've learned, because I thought I was going to be a banker when I was in the uh, the MBA program, so I took a lot of classes. And banks are interested in in three things. They're interested in getting their money back, the first thing. The second thing is they're interested in getting their money back. And the third thing is they're (laughs) interested in getting their money back. So, and that's the money they loan out plus interest. So um, they wanted to know who was signed the loan. That's the first thing. And then the second part is do they have collateral. So if that business went under, then they can go get your house and your condo. You had to have that collateral. And too often in black, brown, and indigenous people's communities, that that collateral is not there. There may be the one person that can sign, but they don't have that collateral because of all kinds of racism and slavery and Tulsa and da-da-da-da-da. So just real quick, before COVID, white families had on average $171,000 of net worth how much they owned over what they owed 171,000 where black families owned $17,000 more than what they owed. So it's 10 times more wealth. Yeah. The average white family over the black family. So trying to get a loan from SBA or bank or normal place just won't happen. Impossible because you don't have that collateral. And then for a co-op, if you have a worker co-op with five people, there's not one person that will sign, and maybe you have to get all five, and maybe all five of them in a low-income community may not have the collateral. If you could they wouldn't qualify. It.
1: So, yeah, you can see it's a, it's a it's a slippery slope that yeah. is, creates a whole host of, of issues down the road.
0: So that's what National Co-op Bank has come in to be so helpful, and they've been our – supporter for nine years financial and they have led us on for those <laughs> nine years nice. teaching us about the whole co-op world and their 100 largest co-ops and everything that they've done it's just been phenomenal so my experience with them is the same as you and Roberta they're angels okay so you were able to get loans from there Ace Hardware is, is fine because you're doing a great job you don't have to buy everything from ACE, but is there a percentage that you have to buy from ACE when you sign up for them?
1: Yeah, the, the percentage is really low, actually. I have always been a, a big advocate for supporting the cooperative with our purchasing dollars in the biggest way possible. They streamline the process. They they find us the be- best prices. They warehouse what we need. But, gosh, my math skills are terrible. It's a very small percentage. Let's just leave it at that. It could be bigger. I think that the support that we provide our co-op could be um, the requirement could be bigger. But those of us who really believe in it and, and want to make sure the co-op survives and does well buys the most that we can from them. And, and truly, I probably, my chain probably buys, I would say 90% from ACE, 90% or more. And the only reason it's that low is because ACE doesn't do anything with plants, live goods, and I have to sell a lot of house plants and a lot of nursery products. And so a big chunk of what we have to buy outside of the ACE network
0: is is what they they don't provide. Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah, not that we wouldn't want to support them. They just don't have those items.
0: So I don't know what low is, but let me make up a number. So if your contract says you have to buy 20% from ACE, whatever that low number is, 10, 20, 30%, you buy 90%. Your group of 13 stores have on average bought the most you can buy from them because that supports the, the store. Now, do you get a dividend check from the store?
1: We do. So we get a dividend every year based on the percentage of our purchases. So, again, the more we buy from Ace, the bigger the dividend. Um, it comes back to us in the form of.
0: we got to go to our next break. We were having so much oh, no. fun. I didn't even hear him tell me. Okay. <laughs> but we're going to our next break. So I want to get back and talk about ESOPs next. You're selling it. Why you decide to sell to your employees. And then why ESOPs or why not co-ops and we've got to spend some more time talking about recovery hardware your book we'll be right back hope we have enough time (laughs) your news talk station information is power Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative, and WOL is a great partner because information is power. And Gina Schaefer today has given us information about purchasing co-ops and starting a business, and her success with her husband of having 13 stores. But it isn't the information. It's when you use the information where you get the power. So we're hoping you'll take the information that you can learn here from Gina today to either start your own co-op, go find a co-op to work in, but build that wealth, knowledge and wealth. Gina, you decided to sell. You and Mark decided to sell. Why did you do that?
1: You know, almost from the beginning, people ask us what our exit strategy was. I don't have children. It's a very generational business, so passing it on to my kids wasn't going to be an option. So we wanted to make sure that before we got any older, we had an exit strategy. And so we started doing some research, and we researched selling to another Ace store, selling to a private equity company forming a worker owned co-op and forming an ESOP, which is an employee stock ownership program in which 100% of the business ownership could be transferred to a trust on behalf of the employees. I, there is no way I was selling to a private equity. I thought, especially after the last two years with civil unrest and all of the inequalities that we are you know, finally starting to talk about in this country, we wanted to do something that was part of the solution. And to Mark and I being part of the solution was having our team actually own the business. And so we ultimately chose to form an ESOP. Why which an is ESOP? almost a year old? I think it was July of last year. That we, yeah, almost a year.
0: Okay. So you've already formed the ESOP and the employees. How many employees?
1: So we have um, this time of year we hire seasonally. So we have about 300 teammates. About 170 of them are co-owners now, and we have sold 30 percent of the business to them. So just real briefly, the business has to pay Mark and I for you know the ownership they had to buy the ownership from us just like a private equity company would and so we have sold 30% to start with so that the transition is more financially manageable for the business and a little bit slower
0: okay and how long is a year how long before they are hundred percent owners they're 30 percent now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it could take 10 years, to be honest. It depends on, you know, one of the things, and this is a topic for a whole other conversation, it depends on how vibrant the shop local community remains. I mean, the more and more purchases that go to big box stores or big online retailers, the less likely people are to shop at small stores, the less likely likely we are to be able to sell more of the business to our team. So that's, a, again, a whole other conversation. But as long as our business remains strong and vibrant, I would say anywhere from five to 10 years before we can officially sell a hundred percent of it.
0: So if those employees want to own more then they'll want to do whatever they need to do to sell more products. So it's more profitable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, we all, we all are responsible for increasing the profitability. We were all that way before we always had a profit sharing, but this is legitimately you burn oaks are a member of our, our ESOP and the, the more you do to make the business make money, the more, ultimately comes back to
0: your bucket of it so you're increasing your wealth how much you own over what you owe by making sure the business is profitable and more profitable it is but it's the same thing for the community if logan circle community says we want to have ace hardware here and we want these employees to own it then they just make sure they shop more there than going to the big box stores we won't even name that today okay yeah okay What's, what's next? So they own 30% right now. They'll go to 100 over 5 to 10 years based on how profitable they are. Why not a co-op? Why not a worker co-op?
1: Um, I, I'm not going to lie. We didn't do a ton of research into forming a worker-owned co-op. But one of the things that had been explained to us at some point is that it's easier to form and manage a worker-owned co-op when you have fewer employees. We liked the idea of the ESOP model because it took the stress of the management Away from everybody, but gave them the benefit of the ownership piece. And we could argue, you know, both in both directions, but um, we thought based on the number of employees we had and the size of the revenue, it's actually more expensive, I think, to form an ESOP than a co op. And so we, we went a more expensive route in the long run, but we liked the idea of the, the ownership model without the hassle of the management piece.
0: Okay. Management. Number of employees, the cost of forming the ESOP versus the co-op. Those are some of the variables in looking at this. And I really want to get somebody else on to talk about that. This, what makes the difference. But you are. May I ask you how old you are now? How old I am? Yeah, fifty-one. You're fifty-one. Okay. Yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't smack me being a woman. <laughs> okay, that's another <laughs> We're not bias. A I another can. bias. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. But at fifty one there there's some numbers that say that I don't know, seventy percent of of um, small businesses are owned by baby boomers like me in the seventies, seventy 80s, and they're too often don't have the exit plan. Yes. They don't have the children either that want to be in the business and so too often they 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 just close up. And yes. the community loses that business and those employees lose that. So you're converting it to an e-shop is much better than closing it up, and I think better than selling it to the venture capitalist or whomever might, and maybe even better than another Ace Hardware, so, because those people live in the, com- in the communities. They stay there, and you build up communities. So that's phenomenal. Yep. That's phenomenal. How do you and Mark feel about the, all of this process?
1: Well, Mark has to deal with all the banking issues, and so he might be a little more stressed about the numbers and details than I am, but I – I'm really proud of us for doing this. I think it's a fantastic way to help a small business or 13 small businesses last in a community. I think it's a great way to to create um, generational wealth for employees. Um, it works a lot like a 401k program, and it's a slow wealth growing process. It's not I'm going to be rich tomorrow, at least not in the hardware world. I mean, there are co-ops or ESOPs that have sold and, and the employees have made you know, lots and lots of money. That's not going to happen in our case, but I want my cashiers to very proudly say I own this business. And so I've been proud that we've given we've created that opportunity. I don't want I didn't want to be in the hardware world forever as much as I love it. I have a million other things that I want to be able to do. And so this was the first step in making sure that I could start doing some some other exciting things.:
0: Okay. And the book, so that leads right into the book, the next exciting thing. So what's your book called again?
1: Recovery hardware.
0: Recovery hardware from yeah. a few good hardware stores to recovery hardware. What is it about? And when, when, well, I when can I get, get one? When can I buy one?
1: When can you get one? That's okay. That's the best question. So September is National Recovery Month. So the book is going to officially launch in September. Um, it will be available for presale in August, but because it ties in so nicely to that national um, um, awareness month in September, that's when it will officially launch. I think the beauty of the book and then ultimately the fact that we created the ESOP is that if you think about the fact that Logan Circle was recovering in so many ways when we opened that first location, and I give us no credit for that recovery. We were just here to sell the hammers and nails that people needed to fix their houses to us being by the Whitney Walker Addiction Services Clinic, to us creating this fantastic hiring practice, to Logan Circle getting better and us expanding to other neighborhoods, I think the word recovery is all encompassing in this case. Um, It's given me a chance to talk about the leadership lessons I've learned, people along the way who have um, inspired me, like Roberta and like Father um, Gregory Boyle in California and the Zingerman delicatessen in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I mean, so many people that have helped me on this crazy hardware journey because I started with zero knowledge. Um, so the book is a celebration of that and what I've learned, and a great deal of it is what I've learned from my teammates who are um in active recovery from some type of addiction so yeah.
0: so, can you give us any of that what you've learned from your teammates that were in recovery? Any one or a little yeah so
1: so you know um Shane who was our first our first uh employee from the program, he now owns a fantastic restaurant in washington d c called Crazy Aunt Helen's. And Crazy
0: Aunt Helens. Crazy. Crazy
1: Aunt Helens. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's American comfort food. Think fried green tomatoes and chicken and waffles. And it's just the space is amazing. Um, But, you know, he said to me, which is a fairly common phrase, don't give up five minutes before the miracle. And So ah. it always makes me pause every time there's a challenge or every time somebody is, you know, just perhaps not acting the way they should and I will always pause and say is there a miracle 5 minutes away and I'll hear Shane's voice and I'll say maybe I should just you know take a beat um, and so that's just one there there's 14 chapters in the book and there's so many great things that I learned that are highlighted in chapters that I hope resonate with with people um, in a in a really meaningful way
0: So we've got to have you back on in September or August That would be great to talk about, I just want to talk about the book and some of the things that you learned from it. Some of the things I can learn from you because addiction is big in my family. It's it's one of the diseases with with diabetes and hypertension. But so talking recovery is huge for me, and it has been the 75 years on this earth. In the last minute, what message would you like to leave people with?
1: Well, I think that I would just like to say that, you know, if you're listening and you want to start a business, don't be afraid. Find a co-op that will support you on that journey. Um, I was lucky enough to find Ace Hardware in 2002, and they became a fantastic partner. And I've been able to grow in communities that support us. And I'm just so grateful for it. I mean, It's been, it's been a wonderful experience. It still is a wonderful experience. I'm not done. Okay. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening to us today. We better, better be, we'll be back next Thursday. Please live cooperatively. And, Gina, thank you for taking the time to come out and talk to us. Thank you, Vernon. All right.